Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, ethics, part one. Mark and I record this cast for our Career Tools podcast, but we thought we'd include it as an extra cast in our Manager Tools feed because of the underlying assumption in Manager Tools about ethical managerial behavior. And frankly, we do believe that the vast majority of managers and professionals are indeed ethical. But given the importance of ethics and professional management, we thought making our thoughts on ethics clearer would be very useful. So, here we go. Well, we started this cast with the intention of putting in our new series for newcomers to the workforce, First Job Fundamentals. Right. You heard it here first, folks. First Job Fundamentals. It's coming. But this topic is way too important to not give everyone access to it. Ethical behavior underpins manager tools and career tools philosophies. We've always taken it for granted that our listeners understand that. And I guess it's time to make clear our stance on ethics. Instead of assuming it away... Let's make it clear. Yeah, we've actually said before, I think, I know I say it at conferences, and we may have said it several times on air that, you know, the tools that we recommend really do work. But as some people have asked, you know, my boss uses them and he uses them against me. And we've always, as you say, just assumed away the ethics issue. I mean, that, that sounds bad. We didn't really do that. But as we said, our, our tools could be used for ill. Um, if you're an unethical person, you could trick someone, you could manipulate someone into trusting you by building a relationship with them and then get a great deal out of them while putting them in, in what amounts to a career form of harm's way. We've clearly had some folks who come to our conference and their perspective is that the vast majority of managers or people are uneth- unethical and you have to guard yourself against them constantly. Yeah. And we don't believe that at all. We believe that the vast majority of people, the vast majority of professionals and managers are ethical people, right? And that, that's where we come from. Yeah. And I think most, most people would say they are. I, I think part of the concerns we have is people who think they are, but then have been led to believe that there are some unethical behaviors that are completely acceptable in the quote, dog eat dog world, the jungle. Uh. Yeah, we should talk about those. Yeah, it's the gray areas. It's it's uh, people saying, well, well, for instance, I'll give you a great example. We talk in resumes about resumes being persuasively truthful. In other words, the noun or the, the, the important thing there is the truthfulness. You start with truthfulness and then you attempt to make that truthfulness persuasive. What most people do, though, frankly, is they see the resume as a sales document. They were led to believe as kids or as young adults that that somehow sales and marketing are illicit or, you know, the the gloves come off, if you will. And so they switch and, and make their resume truthfully persuasive, meaning they start out with persuasive and then attempt to wrestle it back into something that's truthful. And the problem with that is you're going to be in a gray area and somebody's going to disagree on where the line is from mostly black to mostly white. And look, you do that. And if you have that belief that it's okay to be truthfully persuasive, and folks, I know that's a fine distinction, but if you believe that way, 
a number of things can happen. One, you could be ruled out and not know why, um, and then be told that it was just not a fit without them saying, because they don't want to have the discussion, we don't trust you, right? Uh, or you could be told we don't trust you, in which case, you know, if it's a recruiter, gee whiz, you're in a, you're in a heap of trouble. Um, so, so there are a lot of situations, I think, where it's not just being unethical. In other words, in other words, it's not just people engaging in unethical behavior intentionally, but rather people not understanding the line or being led to believe that the line is in a much different place and then hurting themselves and hurting others around them or worse, in the long run, getting away with it and then being led to believe that because the ends justify the means, which of course that's part of this cast, it's not true, beginning to believe that, no, well, maybe... Maybe ethics are taking a back seat in today's, quote, modern world, unquote. And, of course, it's just not so. It's not true. Yeah. So, three things in the cast. It sounds corny, but the first one is always be ethical or put differently. Always make the ethical choice. Always make the ethical decision. Number two, to tell you how serious we are, get fired for being ethical. You know, I've said that before, that if you're going to get fired... Get fired for doing the right thing. It'll help you put your head on your pillow. If you're going to get in trouble, get in trouble for being you and not doing something that you don't believe in. And then the last thing we'll talk about ends justifying the means, which they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't. I mean, there are a lot of definitions of ethics, right, enshrined in just about every legal system and every religion and every moral code that's out there. Because, you know, frankly, we need ethics to help us live together in communities, right? I mean... And most yeah. systems are pretty similar, right? They have similar foundations because, well, fundamentally, societies can't function if their citizens are lying to each other or stealing from each other or cheating one another or going around killing each other, right? So there are, there are fundamental survival instincts going on around, around ethics. Yeah, I, I mentioned recently a, a, a book that I found, well, one of the most seminal books I've ever read in my life, The Moral Sense by James Q. Wilson. And... Um, there's always been an understanding, or at least a, a misunderstanding, I guess is what you put it, that morality is somehow driven by religion, belief in a higher power, a god, a deity, or something. It's overcoming our basic inst instincts. It's yeah, exactly. But the yeah. fact is, it's, it's not. It's necessary. Yeah. A social scientist I read a number of years ago said, we need God in order to be a referee for who we are normally. And actually, you know, a lot of people, and Wilson does, makes the best argument for it, say, no, we're, we're inherently good creatures. And we, we don't mean in the religious sense of God made us good, but rather simply, if you analyze mankind's behavior, the overwhelming arc of it is we are good. And we are endowed with the ability to make choices which are actually self-defeating. And most animals can't do that. They're, they're wired to protect themselves. You know, we, we, we tell people at the conference, dude, that human beings are naturally social creatures. One of the things that DISC teaches us is that half of the world goes through th their life with their arm sort of stuck out at arm's length. And if they meet somebody, they generally think of that person initially as unfavorable. The other half of the world, and those are Ds or Cs. Uh, they tend to be more fact-based at work. And, and the other half of the world tend to be more people-based. And their first thought is, 
hey, if I meet you, I, I trust you, I believe you. And there are pluses and minuses to both ways of going through, through life. And there's inevitably a question from somebody about, what about those of us who don't like being around people at all? And, and we have to tell them, well, actually, all of us have a drive to be together. And we, we tell the, the, the old chestnut that, you know, if all human beings were spread out equally across the Earth's um, surface... And, and given enough money um, food to survive on for a short period of time, that two things would happen almost immediately. Immediately, cities would form. We like to be together. And wars would start. When we get together, we get in conflict with one another. And this need to be together, in part because of procreation and in part because of uh, um, specialization of labor, something we really makes us, in, in many ways, the master of our, our futures, these things create conflict with each other uh, and with the choices we make such that if we were not moral creatures, one would have to assume we would be extinct simply because of our abilities, the, the incredible depth and breadth of our abilities. And look, you have to believe it. I mean, how many of us have been in situations where we assume? My favorite one is green light. We don't even think about driving through a green light at a traffic signal. But we're making a fundamental assumption that we we so make it fundamentally, and it's so much of assumption, we don't even think about the fact that the other guy is going to stop. We don't even look, which implies no, not just that we have data, right? Other, they always seem to stop. We don't even look because we know it, or we tell ourselves we know it. And that rule of somebody else stopping, not just because you could get in trouble, because there are plenty of times when the police aren't around, but rather that we will not do what is always best for us in a self-serving way is part of what undergirds our, our moral sense. And I'll tell you, you, if you give up the moral sense, you go very quickly to a world that most of us wouldn't want to be in. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, look at you. You're the you're the the deputy honor captain at West Point when you and I were there, class of '82. We we learned one of the simplest codes in the world and widely regarded as one of the very best. A cadet will not lie, cheat, nor steal, nor tolerate those who do. Pretty good starting point, right? It doesn't cover everything, but it's a pretty good starting point for most people. Yeah. Yeah, we we kid. It's it's really sort of a dark humor that we ought not to be proud of. Um, because I guess we're human, but the Navy and Air Force Academy codes are almost the same, but we think ours is better. <laughs> yeah. And some people say, God, that must be really hard to live under. That's just not the yeah. way society is. And folks, it is incredibly easy to live under. Yeah. I mean, the it really idea, is. You have no, no locks on your doors. You can leave $500 out on your desk. And you could go away for a week and come back, and it would still be there. You could leave a $500 calculator out in the hallways, outside the classrooms, and come back at the end of the day, and it'd still be there. It's yeah. liberating, actually. Yeah. I saw an ad recently. I can't remember what insurance company it was. Or maybe it was a bank. It could have been a bank. And they were in a public place, and they had a briefcase full of $100,000. And they showed, they walked up to a person and said, listen, I have to go do this. It's going to take me two or three minutes. Can I leave this case of money with you? And invariably, nobody walked away with the money. You know, it was all on hidden camera and that kind of stuff. But people, 
trusted it, which was, it's a nice thing. People doing a, doing a good thing. Let's talk about the, the dark side of that though. Let's talk about lying and cheating and stealing. Look, look lying is wrong. Um, as a professional, which we love that word, but as a professional, it's wrong to lie. And being a professional means embracing part of the moral code of, I suppose, not just truth-telling, but the belief that your behaviors are a small representation of the kind of person you are and the society, what kind of society you want to live in. In other words, if we all behave a certain way, whether you think the culture is X or not, if we all behave X, we are living in culture X. And as we've said many, many times before on manager tools and career tools, even if you put aside the morality of the issue for a moment about lying, to tell a lie is inevitably to put your own desires above that of someone else. And usually what that means is the detriment of the organization. I mean, we, it's rare that, well, what's good for me is good for everybody, you know, good for the organization, even if it hurts other people. And that's, that's inherently the, the driver behind uh, the, the tale of the CEO who is who is uh, a bankrupt, morally bankrupt, right? Oh well, it benefits me, so therefore it's good for the company. And we don't we don't intend to suggest that you you should not, which is a word we rarely use, the should word here, managerials, girls, but you should not lie simply because it would mean you're not professional. We recommend not lying because in the long run, it's better. As one of the Covey family said recently, there's a book called The Speed of Trust that if you trust one another, if you don't have to validate everything and verify everything because you can believe what people say, which is to say that you have evidence that they won't lie or haven't lied or don't lie, then you save time and you save money and it's more efficient. And look, you, if you're a member of an organization, which is fundamentally at the heart of everything Manager Tools and Gertles does, you've already struck a bargain with your organization. You know, your best work for, for their cash. <laughs> the moment you start harming the organization or putting yourself first is the moment you start saying, you know, I'm not keeping up my side of the bargain. And by the way, I have to say, you know, I, I when I took a couple of classes on ethics, one of the things that the professors invariably said was the word ethics doesn't imply righteousness. Ethics is just rulemaking in the same way that Measuring something doesn't necessarily mean I have a good measurement. I can measure something and discover I'm bad at it. One can have bad ethics. So maybe the unofficial title of this podcast ought to be open parentheses, good, close parentheses, ethics. Right. So to be clear, our recommendation here is when you are given the choice, when there's an opportunity, folks, to tell the truth or not to tell the truth, we recommend you tell the truth. Okay, let me ask you a question, though. Let me, let, me, let me push you on that a little bit, this whole truthfulness thing. Let's say I go to dinner, and the host serves me peas, okay? And they are the most god-awful, mushy peas I've ever had in my life. They're terrible. They're terrible. They suck completely. Yeah, they're terrible, yeah. And yeah. during the meal, my host, wonderful woman, says to me, how'd you like the peas? Yeah. What do I say? I say, I'm sorry, I have uh, to be honest here. They really suck. Yeah, I have to be honest. I have to be honest, right. Yeah, in fact, that phrase has crept into our language in a way that I find is not, not helpful. I think people, I certainly know that I have a habit of adding 
verbal fluff to what I say. And, uh, um, you know, I have to be honest here is a, is often a telltale sign of, you know, dishonesty. Okay, raise your eyebrows. <laughs> something, something. No, not, not, not so much dishonesty as cloaking oneself in a higher uh, moral oh, yeah. Yeah. status of honesty in order to say something that probably one could get away with saying in a different way that would still be effective, but not, not painful. It's condescending. It's rude. It's, it's, it's painful. Yeah. Right? It's somehow like, well, you just had to put all that aside because I'm just being honest. Right. And of course, that's, that's the highest moral plane we can be on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm above reproach here before I tell you that you're awful, which only makes the situation worse, of course. Well, you know, I'm the only person I think, well, there, we probably have a few classmates and, and graduate, fellow graduates who are listeners who know that the example you're using, I think you maybe came up with because that's the way they taught us West Point. There is something, folks, called a social or white lie, okay? Yes, there's a slippery slope. And frankly, I think this is one of those areas that has gotten too big and the slope has gotten too slippery or it's too steep. And most of us, and myself included at times, do it. And, and we, you know, hopefully you still have enough of a moral compass to, to regret it uh, and to toss and turn before you go to bed that night. But the answer is it's not okay to say the peas are terrible. You are allowed in some cases, to tell a white or social lie in order to protect someone else's feelings, at least in this case, the example would be feelings. And you would not be sanctioned, if you will, for for breaking a, a black and white, irreducible, inflexible moral code. You know, the question you have to ask yourself, I think this is what I remember you guys teaching us in school, is me telling a lie or telling the truth, Is it? am I trying to avoid embarrassment? Or is what I'm doing truly out of respect for the other individual? And yeah, it's easy to tell yourself a lie to that question. But generally in this situation, it would be disrespectful almost to be candid about how bad the peas were. And so if you feel like you're avoiding embarrassment for yourself, then probably you ought to lean toward telling the truth. But if you're genuinely protecting someone else, and there is no in a professional example, this the P is not being a professional example, and there is no ill effects to the organization, then you can, in fact, tell social lies. And look, we know, folks, that it's not as simple as black and white, never lie. What we can say is ethics, making good choices, the rules that we live our lives by. There's an old saying that uh, the question about how good your ethics are simply boils down to it's a bit like having good etiquette or manners. The question is whether or not you use them when no one else is looking. Put differently, when it comes to ethics, do you engage in the habit of being truthful when there's no risk, so much so that you develop a strength of behavior and a pattern of behavior, something Manager Tools and Career Tools feels very strongly about, not simply because of repetition and mechanistic belief, but rather because if you engage in what we call ethical behavior, unquote, quote, unquote, that when in fact you have to make a choice, you are so conditioned to tell the right choice. The first thing you do is assume that's what you're going to do, even if you're aware that there will be risk to you. And if you can use manners when no one is looking, the equivalent of that is telling the truth even when you get hurt, right? Because many people believe that manners only exist to, to make us feel better about the lives we leave and lead. And so therefore, one doesn't have to use good manners when one is eating alone, when one is sitting on the couch and, you know, got 
you know, a, a dinner plate in their hand and you're by yourself, as opposed to eating properly with a knife and fork at a dinner table. Not to say that um, having a piece of pizza on the couch to watch TV is a bad thing, even though today most TV is pretty close to bad. The issue is, and this is particularly true for those of you just starting your career, we have to learn to make the right choice. And early on in your career, uh, for those of you who are just starting, it is way better to practice telling the truth, knowing there could be some risk, and discovering, much like Indiana Jones when he thought he'd been shot, that telling the truth with some risk and then discovering that the concern in the risk equation, the perceived detriment to you, the, the perceived harm, doesn't happen. Hey, if you do that a couple of hundred times or the harm is much smaller than it appears, you were making a mountain out of a molehill, you begin to develop a habit of telling the truth. And the beauty of telling the truth as a habit is you attract better people. You can move more quickly. You don't have to communicate as often. You don't have to always give a thousand scenarios in order to help people understand the intent of what you say. If somebody suggests that Mike Ozan made a recommendation that may be, in fact, somehow illicit, if you know Mike, you know, that well, that's just not so. It's just not so. And it makes it easy. I don't have to spend five minutes questioning what he meant when there's a gray area involved in giving guidance or in listening to a report. You know, that, that's where the lying came from. You know, at West Point, if you told somebody something that wasn't the truth and men's lives hung in the balance, you essentially created risk. And there's enough risk on the battlefield. You, you can't afford to create more risk than, than there already is. If the, if the risk is, as, is existential, there's not much bigger risk than that. Right. Sometimes I hear people say, well, it's just a small thing, right? I can lie about this. It's just a small thing. We're talking sure. about a nickel. It's a, you know, $1.95 cup of coffee and, and the person, you know, only charged me $1.90, for example. And this is what I found. If you're willing to lie for five cents, where the consequences of being truthful, I five paying five cents more, if you feel like you have to lie for that, it doesn't get any easier to tell the truth when the consequences are a million dollars or your job or your livelihood, right? You have to yeah. exercise those muscles early on. Be truthful under the, the simplest of conditions so that when it gets to be a hard decision, when the consequences are high, you've developed that muscle. Yeah, the problem is, if yeah, if you don't have the practice... If you haven't managed five people, it'll be hard to manage 50. It'll be devilishly impossible to manage or lead a 1,000. If you're given a big ethical decision and you haven't had the training to understand what the risks and benefits are of telling the truth, you might be tempted to not tell the truth. And we see young people ruin their careers because they didn't know any better or they said they didn't know any better or they thought no one would notice. And there's so much we're all naive about when we start our careers. I, I've often made the case that if you're just starting your career and you see more senior people and they're stunned at something you don't know, don't take it too hard because that person has probably just forgotten when they learned that. One of the bad habits, not, not bad habits, I guess, but one of the frustrations of a professional life, even a life as a human being, just growing older in general, is we tend to have a habit of forgetting where and when and how old and what, under what circumstances we learned a given lesson. And we immediately assume once we've learned it that we've always known it. 
And so therefore, it's very easy for, to look down our noses at somebody who's, who's new. But really, frankly, we're just professional learning machines when we're first starting out. And you're going to be given thousands of small and large opportunities to make choices. You know, Scott Adams says one of his favorite stories that he got in an email, Scott Adams, a guy who created Dilbert, is a guy went on a business trip and lost his own personal umbrella. And um, when he put in for reimbursement for it, the company said, you know, we don't, we don't reimburse you for personal items. And the guy said, was stunned. Now, by the way, I happen to agree that the com- your company shouldn't be reimbursing you for personal items. But based on that small thing, what happened on the next trip? Uh, at the bottom of his expense receipt, the guy said, okay, guys, try to find the umbrella this time. You know, he wanted reimbursement for it, and he was willing to cheat to get it. You know, when you start doing stuff like that, frankly, what you're doing is creating more work for more people to create more systems and processes, which you're probably going to be somebody who complains about them. So tell the truth, even when nobody's looking, even when there's a risk to you. Start now when things are simple and small. And the risk, because you're just beginning your career and you don't have as much responsibilities, are much less. And then when you're in that moment, as is in the movie Wall Street, the, the senior guy, I think it's Hal Holbrook, says, Bud, you look down into the abyss and you see nothing ba- staring back at you and then man discovers his character, right? You're going to be asked to make a big decision. And it's going to be clear that you can make a decision that benefits you but hurts others. And then you're going to know what kind of person you are, right? And the question is, do you have character or not? Telling small lies beyond just white lies is a way to perhaps get ahead in the small, in the, in the short run, but in the long run will damage you and damage others and will probably be part of what you decry in the world, which don't ask the world to be a better place while you behave as if that's not really what you mean. Now, this all applies to cheating as well. Cheating is no different. It's wrong. Yeah, uh, well, it's just like, you know, everybody seems to cheat on their expenses. I don't know that I've told the story on air, but I will tell the story now of cheating. And I think it's an instructive one. I got lucky that this happened to me when I was a cadet. I went to a concert as a cadet. I want to say I was a sophomore, uh, you know, my second year there. Uh, I might have been a freshman, or plebe, but I don't think so. I think I was a sophomore. And... um, I was sitting uh, at pretty good seats uh, at a Beach Boys concert at West Point, and um, I was sitting in the lower center section. I think a senior must have given me his or her tickets because they were really good seats. And I was sitting two seats from the aisle by myself because I didn't have any friends. And uh, there were two civilian girls, pardon me, ladies, but to me when I was 20, that's what they were. They were civilian girls. And I was a cadet at West Point. And they're sitting in the middle of the row, maybe 10 to 12 seats to my right. And a couple of first classmen walk down the row, to, you know, come into the row and stand in front of the two civilian girls and brandish a pair of tickets and say, excuse me, do you have tickets for these seats? This is, by the way, this is before the opening act starts as I recall. And um, they said, uh, the girls said no. And they, it was clear to me they were pantomiming that they had seats in the upper balcony, but they thought, what the heck, maybe nobody will take these awesome seats. And they really were good seats right in the middle, you know, maybe 20 rows back from the stage. And the guy said, well, sorry, we have to ask you to leave. And the girls got up and, and walked in front of me 
And I realized that, you know, they didn't have tickets to those seats or any other seat around the area. I said, hey, look, I, if you're looking for good seats, these seats next to me to my left are empty. You can sit there until somebody kicks you out, right? So they sat there. And I think I might have tried to talk to them, but I was no ladies' man. So nothing, I, I, I was not successful, even though perhaps I had just done them a big enough favor that they might have been inclined to at least engage me briefly in conversation. I don't recall <laughs> being very effective anyway. All of a sudden, you know, not all of a sudden, but short time later, another first classman is sitting way at, or is standing way at the other end of our row, you know, 40 feet, 50 feet to my right. And he's having a conversation with the two first classmen who had just kicked these young ladies out of their seats. And he comes down the row as well and is talking to them. And then next thing I know, he's coming and he's standing right next to me and he's sort of leaning over me and he brandished his two tickets in front of the girls sitting to my left. And he says, excuse me, ladies, do you have tickets for these seats? Very polite, very, you know, as we would call cadetiquette, which is cadet etiquette. We were taught to be polite and gentlemanly and so on. And the girls said, no, again, of course we don't, you know, and he says, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And he sits down right next to me in one of the, one of the two seats right next to me. And then he turns to me before the show starts and he hands me these two tickets and he said, will you pass these tickets back to the center of the row? I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And I passed them back to the center row, but a chill went through me because I knew what he had done. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't even fathom it at the time, but I knew what he'd done. He realized his buddies had told him, hey, those girls are sitting in seats that they don't have tickets for. All you have to do is ask them to move, ask them, do they have tickets for those seats? And then you can sit there. Right. Act as if those tickets were to those seats, right? Lie, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, which is to create a belief in another person, which is to mislead, which is, of course, yes, it's to lie. And in a sense, even further cheating, right? Because he didn't have a ticket to that seat and he's benefiting by getting that seat when in fact he didn't have it. And I can't remember, I'm assuming it was more expensive or, well, if nothing else, even if it wasn't more expensive, it certainly was more rare and more coveted. Uh, it was more valuable, even if it wasn't more expensive, which arguably would be the same thing. In any event, I mean, I panicked. I mean, uh, because a cadet will not light your steel nor tolerate those who do. And for those of you who don't realize it, if he had discovered in a moment of clarity an hour later or three hours later before he went to bed that, oh my gosh, I just misled someone on purpose. And by the way, because we were cadets, the civilian girls knew full well we were under an honor code and, and people around cadets always assumed that cadets were telling the truth. So that was working in his favor. If he were to have gone and turned himself in to an honor representative, one of his classmates in his company, and then said, and by the way, another guy saw me, and that was me, and I didn't turn him in. He might have been given leniency because he turned himself in. I don't know if that would have happened, but I would have been in the dock and in trouble because I would have been in a great deal of trouble and very easily could have gotten kicked out for having observed an honor violation, but not turning someone in. And as it turned out, I, I realized it, and I, I told him, halfway through the show during the intermission, I was shaking. I said, sir, I'm really sorry, but I think you just committed a non-violation. I'm really sorry. I, was, I felt awful. I, the concert was ruined for me, and the Beach Boys were pretty awesome, and I didn't, I didn't get to appreciate it. 
And he said, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I said, well, okay. You know, I just want to tell you, I, I got to go report this. And hopefully, hoping, of course, that nothing happened, right? That the honor guys say, no, 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 that's no, 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 no. You're mistaken. It's a gray area, whatever. You know, there's also, he outranks me. And there's always the fear that if, in fact, the honor committee or the honor board or the, the, the investigation determines that he was in the right, even though the code is very clear, and I always believed that you could legitimately, honorably, as terrible as it sounds, honorably accuse someone of breaking the honor code, you, you know, a guy two levels above you, they have power, right? You try to avoid getting yourself in a situation where you think you've acted honorably, but if the honor committee says he acted honorably, then maybe I was the one that was wrong, and maybe there would be, not punishment, though I, I knew there wouldn't be any punishment, but... I could be shunned a little bit as somebody who had a little too careful a definition of honor and didn't understand that things were flexible and you can't go through life being completely black and white. Well, as it turns out, I turned him in. I'm assuming he talked to his honor representative too. In a cruel twist of fate for him and I, it turned out this was late in the school year. He is a senior. Uh, by the time his quote, trial, unquote, or what's called an honor board, finished. We were then a few short weeks of his graduation. So he had been there at West Point for four years. And as it turned out, this person was the cadet in charge, essentially the captain, if you will, of the one of the cadet choirs, um, religious singing group, obviously. And the person whom I turned him into in my company, a great guy by the name of Jack Joseph. Jack, if you're listening, I still admire and respect you. Jack was his deputy cadet in charge of that very same cadet choir. And Jack had to go tell his one of his best friends at the academy, hey, you know, this, this younger cadet believes you committed a non-violation. And as it turned out, I was the only witness. And I, you know, I, I don't know what else happened. I was very scared. And Mike, you may very well have been on the board or had something to do with it. Well, no, you weren't on no, the honor committee no, yet. not at that point. In no. sophomore year, sophomore year. And uh, the honor committee found him guilty of committing an honor violation. And he was kicked out of the academy within a month or a few weeks of graduating. All for a seat at a concert. And he already had a ticket. It just wasn't that good a seat. And I never forgot it. It still to this day is sort of chills me to think that it can be that simple. And I think he thought he was doing an okay thing. I mean, he probably in hindsight realized, oh my gosh. But folks, if you're not careful and you start a habit early in your career of making the easier choice, I think I've said before that my favorite part of the cadet prayer is a cadet would not like to or, uh, um, make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And he chose the easier wrong and the consequences were devastating for him. So I, I probably shouldn't have told that long a story, but, but it's instructive to me of how easy it is and how small things can be and how big the implications can Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you back here again next week. In the meantime, check out the discussion forums, www.manager-tools.com forward slash forums. Hope to see you there. So long, folks.